they leave this place, going to our workplaces, going to the comic book store, talk with our friends over a coffee or a beer at the pub, right, about the new Avengers movie, right? And we can actually enter into a conversation that isn't just polarized, but affirms, challenge, and reveals somewhat of Jesus' heart in our context. Make sense? All right, with that doodle done, I'm going to invite Aaron up to actually do the good stuff. All right, well, thank you, Tony. Uh, good to be with you. Again, my name's Aaron, and like Tony was saying, we're entering into this kind of short four-week series called Cultural Conversations. And to begin this morning, kind of the topic at hand is going to be kind of centered around us at uh, the person of Marie Kondo and kind of her Netflix show and so many of the things that have been happening with her and her book and all of that. How many of you, show of hands, have heard of Marie Kondo? <coughs> All right, most of us are in the room, and it's interesting because I mean, her show has been super popular. Kind of the gist of it, I'll explain it briefly, is that she, her desire is to spark joy through tidying up, through cleaning, through getting rid of, of certain items. And, you know, our family has kind of adopted some of those uh, practices in our own kind of home as we've done our own laundry and all those sorts of things. We even, uh, I say sometimes to my wife, you know, we're not doing the laundry, we're condoling the laundry. <laughs> And you know that you've done well in life when your name is a verb. So, you know, all that to say, the Marie Kondo thing is, you know, taken off in a lot of ways and become super, super popular. But instead of me just like explaining it all, you know, for you, I just wanted to play just a quick 60 second trailer. I'll kind of frame this whole thing up and I'll be back up and we'll kind of dive in. So, I'll be watch this real quick. They have so much stuff. It's a never-ending battle to fight the clutter. With the baby coming, we gotta get our stuff in order. We had a downsize from a four-story house to a two-bedroom apartment. I lost my husband. I don't know that I have everything it takes to get rid of his belongings. Hello. Hello. I'm Maria Kondo. My mission is to the world. This girl's no joke. This is amazing. Uh, we have too much stuff. It's official. It's so hard to let it go. I don't want to just, you know, dump it. I want to be thoughtful about it. Choose items that spark joy for you. Spark joy. It's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. We're on board. We want to change. I just want it to be strong enough to change me. I can let it go. Arigato. I am going to figure out what sparks joy in my life. I can't well, believe you can touch the carpet. <laughs> new day, new joy. Thank you for being here for us and wanting to help us. I hope you know how much this means to me. Here we go. All right, so you kind of get the basic gist of what's happening there. It's very much getting rid of things, tidying up, and the whole point is to be able to spark joy in one's life uh, in that process. Now, you might be wondering, like, why on earth would we devote a Sunday to talk about something like this? Why spend 30 minutes or so diving into this, seeing how this intersects with the way of Jesus? Well, let me just offer just briefly here maybe just a couple of reasons. And kind of the first thought that came to mind along these lines is, you know, I think if we're honest, a lot of us can relate to some of the people that Marie Kondo is interacting with. You know, I'm not saying that your house is messy or anything, but <laughs> perhaps 
there's areas and spaces in your life that maybe feel a bit cluttered or chaotic. You know, my wife and I, we both work, we have two little ones, and managing schedules and all these sort of responsibilities, you know, can feel at times overwhelming and chaotic. And I think a lot of what Marie Kondo is saying and talking about speaks into some of those places and spaces of chaos and clutter uh, in our lives. And I think a second reason why it's fairly important to talk about some of this stuff is because I think Marie Kondo is getting at some of the things, one of the major problems in our kind of cultural moment. That being the desire that people have for more and more and more. You know, I'm not saying that having stuff is bad, but I think at the same time, just think about advertising. You know, advertising that we interact with on a, probably a, a daily basis. And advertising often will, yes, be selling a product, yes, be trying to get you to buy their product, but if you read between the lines, underneath the surface, they're often not just selling you that product, but an experience, or an emotion, or kind of a lifestyle, or a status. And it's easy to kind of buy into that sort of narrative, and then all of a sudden you realize you have all this other stuff because you've been chasing after, you know, that narrative, or that experience, or that emotion. And I think a lot of what Marie Kondo is saying is that, you know, fulfillment and happiness can't be found in accumulating all this stuff, or accumulating all these sorts of experiences. And I think so much of what she is saying actually does intersect very nicely with the way of Jesus and his teachings. And I think just to be, begin this morning, I want to begin with talking about some affirmations from the way of Jesus as they intersect with Marie Kondo and kind of what she is all about. So just to start off with, let's start with just a few affirmations, things that I think Jesus and the writings of Scripture would affirm about her approach and just the way that she interacts. And first off, just let's talk about if you're, if you're familiar with the show, you can kind of see it a little bit in the trailer there. Just her overall approach and attitude is, I think, something just right off the bat, Jesus would affirm. You know, Marie Kondo, as she comes into someone's house and is going in to, you know, help clean up the house or whatever, she doesn't come in with, like, this condescending attitude of, like, oh my goodness, look how awful you are for hoarding and for just accumulating all this stuff. No, her approach is very gracious, it's very patient. She's meeting people where they are at, and she kind of enters in and is able to slow down with people. It's very much like how Jesus interacted with people throughout the Gospels. Just think about the way Jesus treated people, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He met people where they were at. He didn't lead with condensation, shaming, and guilt. No, he met people where they're at and then brought them forward with health and growth. You know, there's also this posture of gratitude in, in Marie Kondo. This, you know, we'll talk about the particulars as far as, you know, where there might be some pushback with how she expresses gratitude. But overall, that, that posture of gratitude that she expresses is, I think, a breath of fresh air in our cultural moment. Like Tony was saying, we live in such this kind of this polarized moment full of kind of anger and kind of getting at each other's throats oftentimes. But I think it's just really healthy and good to celebrate people who are into being thankful and showing gratitude just in the ordinariness of life. And also, too, just her ability to slow down. You know, if you're familiar with the show, and you can see a little bit of that, that in the trailer, Marie Kondo has this ability to really slow down and kind of enter into the moment and the environment as she's interacting with people. You know, Jesus himself would do something very similar. He was not kind of just caught up with the busyness of his culture, but he would often take time to slow down to withdraw, and to just be present with his Father. And I think just even in our moment, where it's just going on the next thing, achievement, busyness, where business now becomes like a virtue, a character virtue. 
The more busy you are, the more important you are. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Just the simple ability to slow down just speaks volumes into what I think leads to health in, in being a human being and being a follower of Jesus. So I think there's so much with her approach and attitude that the way of Jesus would affirm, but also secondly, as far as affirmations where Jesus would affirm, I think it would also have to do with just her desire not to give in to the narrative of having more and more and more. You know, I think there's something to be said about this. You know, again, not that having stuff is bad or wrong. You know, God is the giver of all good gifts. God gives us good things to enjoy. That's exactly what Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. But at the same time, once happiness and fulfillment is not going to be found, we're just having more and more and more and accumulating more and more and more. And I think Marie Kondo understands that, that just having more stuff isn't going to lead to that fulfillment. You know, if you're familiar with the show, there's these moments where as she enters into someone's house, one of the first things she does as she begins to help tidy up is that she has her clients essentially bring all of their belongings, like say they're going to deal with the clothing, bring all the clothing out from the closets and the dressers and wherever the clothing might be hiding or tucked away, and bring it all into one central location. So you just kind of get this visual of just these huge pile of clothing right in the center of, of like on top of the bed or something. And it kind of creates almost this overwhelming feeling because it's not until all of that, that clothing, for example, is brought to the middle that, that you kind of get this sense of, oh my goodness, look at how much stuff one has. Because it's just been this smoke buildup over perhaps many years or, or whatever. And I think Kondo is wanting us to see in a visual expression that all that stuff has not led to you know, fulfillment or happiness or joy. You know, and I think this intersects very nicely with a lot of the teachings that Jesus gave about possessions and stewardship. I mean, you could just cite numerous examples throughout the Gospels of how Jesus interacted and taught with possessions and stewardship and money. But let me just point us to one, Luke chapter 12. I'll have it up on the screen. Luke 12, starting in verse 13, says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, nothing really fancy going on there. Jesus is pretty clear. I mean, that line in verse 16, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And you can almost kind of hear the self-centeredness of that man in that parable. He's like talking to himself in the first person. He's just so into himself and the stuff that he has. And he's probably tearing down a perfectly fine barn just to build a bigger one, just to accumulate more and more stuff. And, and in the parable, God says to this man, that's just foolish. That's just not a wise way to live because, again, in the words of Jesus, 
One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I think a lot of what Kondo is talking about understands this. That happiness and fulfillment is not going to be found with just having more and more and more. Again, having stuff is not sinful, having nice things is not sinful. But at the same time, to base one's life on just the accumulation of more and more and more will not lead to satisfaction or fulfillment in life. Now, those are some things that I believe that the, the scriptures and the way of Jesus, they intersect nicely, there's affirmation there. But what about just some of the things where there might be a little bit of pushback? Maybe a little bit of challenge with some of what Marie Kondo is saying. Now, we've talked about her approach, the way that she's able to slow down, her gratitude, her posture, her just ability not to give into the narrative more and more and more. But I do think there are some particulars as far as where there might be pushback. And I think a good place to start with this would just be very simply around the idea of God. And kind of, in particular, the creator-creation distinction. Because as you watch Marie Kondo, you notice that there very much is a spiritual component into the way she talks and the way that she even prays. There very much is a spiritual reality that at least she holds on to. It's not explicitly clear as you watch the show, but it very much is there in the way that she talks and the way that she interacts with certain people. And I think as we talk about like the creator-creation distinction, I think there might be a little bit of pushback here. But to kind of start off on this point here, I think it's important to, for us to affirm with Marie Kondo that there is, in fact, a spiritual reality, broadly speaking. That we would have that in agreement. You know, whatever worldview Marie Kondo might be coming from, we would be able to affirm that, yes, life is more than just the material. Right? Life is more than just what I can see, taste, or touch with my own senses or whatever. That there is a reality behind the reality of that which I can see, the spiritual reality. And broadly speaking, yes, there would be alignment in that sort of way. You know, this is exactly what Paul does in the book of Acts. Paul's a first century follower of Jesus. And if you're new to the scriptures, the book of Acts recounts the first several decades of the life of the early church after the first Easter. And when Paul is in the, in the middle of the book of Acts, around Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in the city of Athens. This ancient city that's full of all these sort of different cultures and religions. And he enters the city of Athens. And he sees all these other worldviews, all these other religions, and form of these different idols. And the text says that Paul's heart is provoked within him. That he's disturbed by this, in a sense. Because he wants these people to come to understand the way of Jesus. But instead of Paul just sort of like bashing and critiquing and coming out with all these reasons why they're wrong and why they need to just, you know, get their whole life all put together. Instead of what Paul does by leading with like a confrontational attitude, Paul finds a point of agreement, and from that point of agreement begins to dialogue and talk together. The text says in Acts 17, Paul recognizes to these poets and philosophers, these very intellectual people in Athens, and says, quote, I realize that you are very spiritual. And he just starts with that, that basic point. Hey, we have agreement here. That you affirm the spiritual reality. And so Paul begins by building a bridge and then begins to dialogue and interact. I think that a very similar thing can be said here with Marie Kondo. We would be able to affirm that yes, there is a spiritual reality. But then we would might be able to dialogue from that place and kind of nail down into some of the particulars. Because as you kind of listen to Marie Kondo, you'll notice, you'll see that for her, Kind of almost any and all objects sort of have like this personal divine kind of spirit behind them. 
She talks and prays as if the piece of clothing or the house somehow has a divine spiritual element behind that, which we would again affirm that yes, there is a spiritual reality, but in the Jesus-shaped worldview, there is a creator-creation distinction. You know, page one of our Bibles, Genesis chapter one, God is shown to be the creator and sustainer of all things. God creates, God speaks, and creation is created. God says, and then seven times, or six times, things are created, and God rests on the seventh day. That there is this clear creator-creation distinction in the Jesus worldview. And at the same time, what I'm not saying is that somehow creation or the physical is somehow less than or subpar. No, because I think if we truly understand the narrative of Scripture, the Scriptures give us actually the highest, highest view of the material, the highest view of the physical of the Christian, not some like secondary, subpar, you know, the materials, you know, bad, and you know, just be off to the side, and what really matters is like the spiritual. And I think that false dichotomy kind of somehow is kind of lingering within the church at large, where you know what, what's really important is just the quote spiritual, and then the physical and the material and the creation is somehow secondary. And I think that's actually closer to a form of a first and second century heresy called Gnosticism as opposed to the actual way of Jesus. Again, the story of the scriptures, God six, seven times calls the creation good on page one of the scripture. It is good, it is good, it is good, is the word that there is actually a very high view of the material in the creation in Scripture. And even though on page 3, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world and things begin to be kind of messed up a little bit, the story of the Scripture does not end with us floating away to some other place, some non-material place, but the story of the Scripture ends in the new heavens and new earth. Creation fully and finally redeemed. Heaven and earth becoming one and us being in the new creation where there's going to be rivers and cities and trees and cultures and a physical reality with the presence of God at the center of all of it. That God is redeeming all things, all of creation, and that we are invited to play a part in that. So all that to say that in particular here, that the Jesus-shaped worldview, yes, does have the greater creation distinction and at the same time celebrates and affirms the goodness of the creation, the goodness of the physical, and that there's a part to play with all of that together. Ephesians 1 verse 10, Paul says this, this is the plan. At the right time, God is going to reconcile all things, things in heaven, things in the spiritual realm, and things here on earth around the person of Jesus, the Messiah. That's the future that we hold on to, that we begin to live with even now in the present. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All I'm trying to say here is that yes, Jesus, the Jesus-shaped worldview would, would kind of push back a little bit and say yes, there is a distinction between that which is the creator, the creator God himself, and creation, while at the same time affirming the beauty and the goodness of all that God has made and given us to enjoy. And I think as image bearers of God, we begin to recognize that as we are invited into this plan, we are called and invited to reflect and find our joy and fulfillment in Him as we are invited into this plan. And I think that would kind of lead me to sort of the second pushback here. Where is ultimate joy to be found? Where is ultimate joy to be found? If you kind of listen to and, and kind of watch the show, you'll hear Marie Kondo over and over and over again have this phrase, does this spark joy? 
Do you find joy in this? And the whole kind of point of the whole process is to, to find joy or to spark joy within yourself. And again, that's great. We should affirm that, yes, the desire for joy. We need more joy in this world than less, right? Again, in our cultural moment where there's just so much back and forth and so much anger and angst going all over the place, the joy is a good thing that we should celebrate and affirm and say, yes, we need more of that. We need more of that in our world. But at the same time, we need to recognize that and ask ourselves a question as followers of Jesus. Where is ultimate joy to be found? Where does ultimate joy reside? Like, how do you actually find ultimate joy? Because I think you would, you would agree as followers of Jesus that you can have the cleanest house on planet Earth and inside your heart could just still be a mess. That, that there could still be things that are wrong and, and not aligned with the way of Jesus. You could practice minimalism and kind of go that whole trendy route and do all that sort of stuff, but then still have just a bunch of chaos in your, in your own life. You could tidy up and get rid of all the excess stuff, but there could be other lingering things. And, and the, all I'm trying to say here is that to really clean and to, to tidy and to have all of that will not lead to ultimate joy. It can, it can help, for sure. I mean, I think just even just scientifically speaking, there's studies that show how physical space helps anxiety and reorients us and can just create a sense of calmness and peace as we kind of be able to organize and just have, you know, an, an environment that is, you know, just refreshing and calming and relaxing. Yes, that all, it can all help. But I would think we would, would want to say that, that tidying up, minimalism, getting rid of stuff, is all a beautiful means to a greater end. You know, the goal isn't to tidy up. The goal is Jesus. The goal isn't to kind of get rid of the excess stuff. The goal is Jesus. All these things can be a helpful means to that end. As we declutter our homes or our lives or the patterns and habits within our lives, that frees us up to experience more of Jesus in our lives. Because Jesus is the goal. You know, I love what, what David says in Psalm 16. David says this, You make known to me the path of life. It's in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is joy found? In the presence of God. Abiding in His presence. That's where ultimate joy is going to be found. In his presence. David understood that. David longed for this. David often says throughout the Psalms, one thing I ask, one thing I seek is that I may dwell in the house of God and experience and gaze upon his beauty. That there is this holy longing to be in God's presence and to experience God's presence. Because David understands again, Psalm 16, it's in his presence there is fullness of joy. And the invitation as followers of Jesus is to go that direction. You know, I love what 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, he wrote this short little book. I have it here with me. It's just the tiniest little book. It's like less than 100 pages, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he talks about just how, as he was a monk, but also as a dishwasher, just being able to experience God's daily presence in his life, doing the most routine and that what we might think of as a mundane task. And he writes just in these kind of short little letters in journal form 
about how he is experiencing and calling others to experience God's presence in everyday life. Because he understood what David understood, that it's in his presence is joy and pleasure forevermore. You know, as you leave today, out here on the 14th Street exit here, you'll notice there's a sign, and it has a quote from Dallas Lord. It's a quote that we love around here, and it says this. Dallas Lord writes this. Arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Arrange your life so that you're experiencing deep contentment, and joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. And as we think about where is ultimate joy found, the question then also becomes, how might we arrange our lives so that we are experiencing contentment and joy in Him? Not contentment just, you know, in our things or, or the few nice things that we're left with after we get rid of all our stuff, but how do we experience contentment and joy in God Himself? I think Dallas's quote is an invitation to all of us to think about our everyday life with God. That we might begin to experience His presence and joy within. I just want to kind of offer as I close here, just kind of two quick thoughts about how we might begin to experience joy and contentment in our everyday life with Him. I just, first off, I would just invite all, anyone and everyone here to maybe just ask God to reveal. Ask God to reveal what might, maybe it's a thing, a possession, a pattern. Ask God to reveal something in your life that might be preventing you from experiencing more of God's presence and joy in your life. You know, maybe as we enter into worship through singing, you, you just kind of spend a few moments just asking, God, what might there be in my life that's preventing me from experiencing more joy and contentment with you? And just wait and, res and respond to God's speaking voice in His transforming presence. You know, maybe you spend a few you know, moments this week asking God that same question. God, what might there be in my life that's preventing me from experiencing joy and contentment in you? Just, just wait. Wait for God to speak. And then respond as he, as he is faithful to you and speak. You know, the second thing, as we kind of think about, you know, everyday life with God and experiencing joy, would just be simply to practice gratitude. Ask God to, to reveal things in your life that you can be thankful. You can thank not the object, but God Himself, the giver of all good things. That we don't want to, we don't, we want to, as followers of Jesus, thank the object. We want to thank the Creator and the giver of all good gifts, God Himself. And just as you practice gratitude, notice how it begins to just bring the, the joy and the gratitude to the forefront. And see how God begins to transform you as you perhaps enter into this, this practice. You know, I think we, as I close, and I want to invite the worship team to come up here. Just a few kind of closing thoughts is that we just want to be careful as followers of Jesus that we wouldn't just exchange the worship of like all these sorts of things for the worship of just a few nice things as we like tidy up and practice minimalism and all that. Because it's just switching idolatry at that point. Again, these can be beautiful means to the more beautiful end that is Jesus. Decluttering, organizing, cleaning, yes, let's, I'm all into that. So that we might then experience more of Jesus in our lives. You know, for anything like me, you know, sometimes with the kids and all the toys out, you know, from the, the previous night, it, not only is it a tripping hazard, but when I, you know, the Lego thing, you know, the barefoot thing in the morning, that, that one, we all do laugh because that happens in your life. But that 
is yes, a tripping hazard, but it can also, you know, be a distraction, at least for me, when I wake up in the morning and want to spend time with Jesus. And I think just the practice of cleaning and organizing can, yeah, it's beautiful, it's good, but it's meant so that I can then open up my life to more of Jesus and His presence in my life. You know, God is not a minimalist with His love. He is extravagant with His love for you and for me. And so as we enter into worship through singing, may we just enter into a moment where we might just thank God for who He is and what He has done for us, and that we might experience more of His joy and His presence in our lives today. He has done it for us. He has made a way for us. We just celebrated that last weekend on Easter. His life for us. He has given Himself for you and for me. The famous verse from John 3. For God so loved the world that He gave. God is a generous giver. He has given His life for you and for me. Let us respond in worship and thankfulness to Him. Let's stand in prayer.